Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back here on a Sunday night for your Monday delivery. Going to talk about one championship, 159. I mean, it'll be quick, but they do have a star over there, folks. And uh, we also had the UFC fight night with Aspinall and Blades, and then Bellator, I lost count. But Bellator, why do I know 159 on one championship and not Bellator? I don't know. I just lost track. But the, the Lorenz Larkin fought on that card, uh, well, for a little bit. And then we had Douglas Lima and Jason Jackson out there in Tacoma, Washington. And, of course, the latest news in mixed martial arts. I think a lot happened in the last 72 hours or so. So it's going to be a fun show. And guess what, folks? Anthony Smith will join us. That's right. Lionheart Anthony Smith has a big fight coming up against Ankalaev on uh, Saturday, UFC, sorry, July 30th, it's UFC 277, <clears throat> and Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along, so we'll give you a lot of reminders this week on our social media and here on the on the three shows before UFC 277, no, two shows, sorry, tonight, which is the Monday show, and then either Wednesday night or Thursday morning whenever we do that one, so please, please, please tune in and check it out, I know a lot of you have a blast with us, so we're back. And uh, we're excited to do it to start the show. All right, go. So let's go where the meat and potatoes is. That's UFC Fight Night 208, UFC on ESPN Plus 66, UFC hashtag uh, or hashtag UFC London. Blades versus Aspinall. It's called so many things, but it's the show that took place in London on Saturday morning, early afternoon, and it involved Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall in the main event. Except, guess what? It only lasted 15 seconds. What the hell is that, Goes? That's uh, that's shorter than... No, that's about as long as Conor McGregor took to knock out Jose Aldo. Yeah, that's unfortunate, too, because... You know, it's kind of back-to-back. And then when we get to Bellator, there was something like that there, too, where you put so much into these fights, man, and they just don't get to play out. It just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, especially when it's the main event, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel bad. And that's two guys in the light heavyweight division. Wait, what back-to-back are you talking about? Well, not really back-to-back, but, you know, the Brian Ortega. And then if you right. go to Bellator, what happened with Lorenzo okay. Larkin? Yeah, so Bellator had that, and then Brian Ortega had what he had. And then what I was about to say was just in the light heavyweight division alone of the UFC, which is trying to, like, regain itself, 
after John Jones uh, abandoned it two and a half years ago. You know, I, I think there's quality light heavyweights there, but remember, that's the one where Bellator says, well, you know, we got something going on over here as well. So as both shows are trying to establish themselves, yeah, Alexander Rakic, if you'll recall, he uh, he hurt himself as well a few months ago. So, yeah, it's a lot of freak injuries, man. But, yeah, back-to-back, however you want to look at it, Friday, Saturday, light heavyweight main events, uh, or UFC, you know, weekends. And Tom Aspinall, from what we heard on the show, it's his MCL, which could be a quicker recovery than the ACL, except the, the MCL on the spot on location is more painful than the ACL. The ACL, a lot of fighters fight with a torn ACL going into the fight or even during the fight. Like, like I mentioned last week, there's different degrees to a tear. So don't hold it against some fighters why some are able to do it pre-fight and in in some power through during the fight and some just automatically fall down. But I don't know that I imagine they'd have to do a whole MRI and all that to see what what's up with Aspinall. But we wish him the best. I hope it's whatever it is. I hope it's a quick recovery. Curtis Blades doesn't seem to be too interested in running it back goes anytime soon. I think he's just ready to wait for the winner of Gone. And Tui Vasa, they fight at UFC Paris coming up here in a, about a month or so. Yeah, but the UFC's never really done Curtis Blades too many favors. So I don't know if that's very realistic to uh, kind of put that out there like that. I mean, I, I don't know. I have a feeling he might have to run this one back eventually. But, yeah, I agree. It's probably not going to happen anytime soon. It's unfortunate what happened, man. It really does suck because – it's not even like we could say there was a minute and a half or two minutes or something that we could have saw that we said, we have an idea of how this played out. Like, literally, hardly anything happened. Yeah. He went to kick him in the thigh, not the calf. And when he retreated, when you know, when his leg recoiled, I guess, it was. it seemed like the pain, it wasn't from the impact of hitting Curtis Blades. Is, so it was... Aspinall's right leg or right knee, I guess, is the one that was injured, and he was kicking Curtis Blades' left thigh. When they did it in slow motion, I didn't see any pain upon impact. It seemed like when he got when he pulled back, he just stuck it in the canvas wrong, or I don't know what happened, but immediately he went straight down. Blades, like a gentleman, pulled up. Herb, Herb Dean waved it off immediately. That was that. I think Curtis Blades might think, that this guy's going to be out a year. So, therefore, when they pitch him the question, he's probably thinking, you want me to wait a year just to fight this guy? Like, I'll move on. But if it were to be six weeks, like some speculated on one of the post fights, then you never know. Maybe maybe Blades might say, okay, because I think Aspinall earned, earned it, you know, to fight a guy like Blades. And that's how they get paid, too, you know. And, and look, it's... It's packed at the top. You got Francis Ngannou still out. We expect them back in December or January at best. Then you got uh, you got Miocic and Jones, which I, I'm tired of even speculating when it might happen, but they're already booking November. So I could see November or December something happening there. And then you got, like I mentioned, Tuivasa and Gone. So where does Blades fit in? Who knows? You're like, he may just want to wait and see what happens with Aspinall or or fill in somewhere. Who I don't I don't even know what to tell you. 
Yeah. Uh, that division is a nightmare to, to figure out, even without John Jones. But the second that guy throws his name in the mix, it just flips everything upside down. So, like I said, if I'm Curtis Blades, I just keep active. I just keep fighting. Consider this one an easy paycheck, but you're healthy. You know, go out there and do it again. Yeah. In the comment event, Jack Germanson defeated Chris Curtis. Uh, 29-28, two-time. So two judges gave it to Hermanson, 29-28. And Chris Cur- uh, sorry, and won 30-27. Now, the round that went to Chris Curtis was the third round. Jack Hermanson pretty much won the other two across the board. This was frustrating, goes because I keep saying Chris Curtis is playing with house money. He's really a welterweight, but he's 4-0 as a middleweight, so he, he could have went up to 5-0. But guess what, goes? He really could have went up to 5-0. The problem is Chris, Cur- Chris Curtis came to box. Jack Hermanson came to compete in MMA. Jack Hermanson threw elbows, knees, teep kicks, punches. He attempted takedowns, you know? I mean, like, he was – he came with a full playbook, and it seemed like Chris Curtis just wanted to run the ball. That's it. Like, like there was – he had no wide receivers, you know? It, it was just a uh, – a uh, what do you call the formation where when it's just like three running backs? Wishbone. Wishbone, yeah, wishbone offense. Gosh, they, they haven't even done that that much in college football. That you forget about it. Nebraska and, and Oklahoma were famous for it. They got away from it. Everybody passes now. I think I think Air Force or Navy might be the only ones that still do it. But yeah, like literally, that's all he wanted to do. And then he. You know what he did goes? He went on tilt like poker players. When you lose a, a big hand, you just go, ah, fuck it all in. And you just start just saying the hell with it because he started going back to the middle, trying to coax Hermanson into throwing down with him. And I think Hermanson was basically saying everything but, hey, bro, you hit harder than I do. That would be dumb for me to do that when I'm picking you apart. You know, but they're kind of giving each other mixed messages and hand signals and middle fingers and this and that. And in the meantime, Curtis could have tried to pin him. Now, once Curtis did try and pin him amongst the octagon, because Hermanson, to his credit, he usually is is the one of the two that is going to tire. He wasn't tiring. I mean, he was tiring, but he wasn't, like, gassing. And and uh, so when Chris would get him in the spot where he wanted to, Hermanson would just throw something at him. And then Curtis would have to reset. Curtis was hesitant, and he was um, stubborn. But I'm telling you, goes – he won round three on two judges' scorecards, and round one, one of those two first rounds, or maybe even both, if he just would have like thrown something and created a little bit of damage, he may have been able to outdo Hermanson and everything he was doing. Which, which nothing was lethal, but it was all adding up. It was a winnable fight, but really, at the end of the day, what it looked like to me was if we didn't know this was a short notice fight. Uh, you would you would think it looked like that, like Chris Curtis looked like that type of fighter because Jack Hermanson looked comfortable. He looked like he had a game plan that he had been working on. And remember, it's short notice for him too, right? Like he didn't yeah. know he was going to fight Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis came out of nowhere. Um, Chris Curtis, I think with a full training camp that's dedicated towards Jack Hermanson, maybe gets him because it was a close fight, just him going out there and, what essentially looked like him just winging it. It really yeah. just looked like he winged it out there. And that just wasn't good enough. Now, does should he regret taking the fight or any? 
I don't think so because I don't know that really, you know, you said he's playing with house money. I don't know that he's really thinking about winning a title at 185. I think he's trying to collect paychecks and maybe this is the type of fight that sends him back down to welterweight or something. Who knows? Um, but I probably wouldn't fault him still for taking that fight because probably made a good paycheck, you know? Uh, he got his, he got, he didn't get his win bonus, but I'm sure he got something for stepping in at late and late notice. And these paychecks are hard to come by, man. Yeah. I mean, I agree with 90% of it with the, with the exception of, I mean, he took the fight, he performed, and it really was a winnable fight. Let's say he had gotten thumped, right? And a lot of it had to do with size. I think we'd all go, yeah, that's the end. That's the, you know, the end of the road, dog. I mean, you kind of came up against one of the, the tougher ones, although he's beaten some really, really good middleweights. But yeah, you came up against someone and you belong down at 170. Time to go back. But no, man, like it was winnable. And I think he's going to see that. Now, maybe the next guy checks him, maybe a Brunson or whoever is next in between where he's at. And like Vittori, Brunson might check him um, before you get to, you know, I guess Whitaker and Adesanya. There's Cannon here, there's um, Paulo Costa. So there's a lot of guys in between, and maybe one of them would have said, ah, ah, ah. Chris Curtis, you got as far as you, you could, but you're not getting all the way to the VIP, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little frustrating. Uh, you know, Extreme Couture product, nice guy, an amazing story, honestly. And I guess that's why I really thought – I really was disappointed because I thought he could pull it off. But what are you going to do? Um, at the end of the fight, it looked like they exchanged – pleasantries but not of the uh friend you know i don't think they were asking for each other's email um and since then they've apologized and looks like they had a beer together and that's good because for a second there i thought maybe Manson might have said something terrible um but it was terrible enough that he felt like he wanted to apologize but i think you all know where i'm going and and hopefully that would not be the case man uh patty pimlet defeated jordan levitt and you know, Levitt was getting lit up, goes, early on. And I thought, geez, like, Pimlet is just going to follow his teammate McCann. And these these two are – the O2 arena, the the roof is going to come down, you know, because they had excellent walkouts and, and everybody was pumped up. But then Levitt all of a sudden started, like, catching a little bit of a second win. He started working against the clinch, trying to get Patty Pimlet on the ground and test them in different parts. And and so it wasn't going to be like a quick night for Paddy Pimlet. Uh, this fight got into the second round, and finally he was able to secure a rear naked choke. But um, good work for Paddy Pimlet. The obviously the whole point of the fight is to win, and I think he did. I just think he wanted something as spectacular as Molly McCann. Man, her and them spinning elbows. You know, I mean, feel free to to chime in on Pimlet, and you might as well go straight to McCann because. It's it's like they're paired up with everything we're going to talk about them today. Yeah, I think uh, with Patty Pimlet, it just it really, really reminds me of what they're trying to do with Sean O'Malley here in the states, uh, but with with a different twist to it. I feel like we get to see more of Pimlet, and we understand where he is exactly in his game right now. I have to give him his props because Levitt's a good fighter, and he was. He did have some things, a puzzle to solve in that fight. 
and he was able to do it. And I think he knew he had lost that round. I thought he did. It was close. I mean, he came back at the end, but but we've seen how he can react to certain things. And it, it was pretty impressive, you know, to start with, like, unless this is the world's worst photo, but that Padre game, man, that dude looked big and out of shape. <laughs> and he came back and he made weight. He put on a good performance. Um, he's not happy with his performance. And there are areas where he could probably improve in his game. But he's winning. He's finding a way to win. And, and that's what I like about him. And then, uh, you know, he always has something when, when he grabs the mic. And I just thought it was a good performance for him. And then you take Meatball and Molly McCann and it's like, they're serving these two up to you like a tag team, right? Mm-hmm. And one goes with the other, and she gets another KO in a similar fashion, right, with that spinning uh, elbow that, that set everything up. Look, when you look at them both right now, I think you look at them and you say these neither of these two, I don't know, are going to win a title. But they look like they can get better. I feel like Pimblet's roof is a little bit higher, the ceiling, than Meatball, but uh, the UFC, hats off to them and the way they promote, because they figured out something, that they got something here with these two, and they are going to milk it as long as they can. Yeah, and you're right. We got to give a special shout out to Pimblet for the strong message regarding mental health and friendship. Uh, He really targeted men on this one. So what happened was he lost a friend to suicide. And he says conversations need to happen between men. He says, you know, women seem to open up more to each other and, you know, talk about their feelings. But I guess the point was men sometimes feel like, eh, I don't want to be looked at as being soft or whatever, so I'll keep these things to myself. And he says, hey, I'd rather have you cry on my shoulder than to me me carry your um, your coffin. But mm-hmm. it was really powerful, man. I was like, good on you, kid. Um, regarding the weight, in the post-fight press conference, said he got as high as 205. That's a light heavyweight. Yeah. So he got up there, but then he said he immediately got down to 188 just off, I think, you know, shaking off immediate uh, fat and getting results before he started the camp. But then he went from the camp of 188 down to 155. Um he also had a message, I guess, as far as, like, the fat shaming really, really kind of got to him. Uh, as far as him and Meatball Molly, they seem to like the pairing. So, sure, why not, I say? Um, I don't think it has to happen, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty special in the U.K. I don't know that it ha- has to happen every card, but um, I don't mind it. I You know, I, I don't want to be a hater um, because I'm always saying – that fighters should show a little bit more personality. I think they were hitting that holler head a little too hard, or at least she was. And so there were times where I wanted to just mute her and hear more from him, especially at the post-fight press conference. You know, questions are being directed to him, and she's answering on his behalf. But you know what? It's their night, spinning back elbows. They got their million-dollar sponsorship deals with Barstool Sports and Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports former colleague of ours on XS on Sirius XM. He was there. And uh, so I think for them, it was a big, big home run. Now she did say in the post-fight press conference, Oh man, that saved our lives. It turned it around. It allowed us to really focus on, 
work hard. But if you recall, both of them, I don't know if you've seen it, they did an interview with Sky Sports. Gary Neville, actually, from Manchester United, when he asked about fighter pay, he said, no, everything's fine. They both said everything's fine. And I'm thinking, mm, everything, you know, because Patty Pimlet didn't he make 12 and 12 in the last one? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, like, that was their chance to really advocate a little bit more. You don't always have to tear down a company just because you disagree with them. But, you know, they're definitely worth more than 12 and 12, at least him. And, well, probably her too. But, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it, is that endorsement deal, I guess, wouldn't have come along if it wasn't for the UFC. But you got to put that to the side. Gary Neville's question had to do with fighter pay, and I thought they could have, you know, done a little bit better of a job representing fighters. Yeah. And and I I do want to talk about one other thing involving those two. I think it was Drake, right, that had that parlay involving both of them. That was brilliant on Drake's part. What that means is Drake understands business. And if you're looking at that, look, I know we all hope that when the UFC has their meetings, they go, let's pair these two up. Whoever wins, yay. It ain't like that, man. Sometimes they have their favorites, and sometimes they're serving people up. In this particular game right here, this Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann, you know that that matchmaker, whoever they're giving them, it may be a good good fight, but there's something within them that says, I think they got this one. Because I promise you Dana White's going to go, whoa, 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 Jordan Levitt, are you sure? This is a tough cat. I'm pretty sure that the matchmaker's going, yeah, man, I'm pretty sure we're going to – because they want this to keep going. And I think that's what Drake recognized in that parlay. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, man, that's a smart cat because – it's a little bit of an advantage, you know, in this gambling world when you're going in there. It's so hard to gamble sometimes on, on mixed martial arts. But that's one thing that you always look at. That and when, like, a Bellator guy gets signed or something or a PFL fighter, it doesn't always work out, you know. But uh, but you could rest assured that when there's a big free agent signing, whoever that first fight is, it's somebody that's like a name, but they feel like maybe he's on the decline or something like that. and. Shit, I think I'm going to bet every Patty Pimlet and Molly McCann, I'm going to parlay them till the wheels fall off. He did like two or three million to cut, to win a million and some change, so good for him. Mm-hmm. He started to make up some of that Masvidal money. Um, All good, though. He got a stake. <laughs> that's true. Nikita Krylov defeated Alex Gustafson. One minute for that one. Gustafson, man, sad to see him get pounded like that. DC immediately said, hey, I think this guy should retire. Yeah, it's up to him. He he has taken some ass whoopings. Um, but, I, you know, for that one minute that he was out there goes, it to me it looked like an Alexander Gustafson that was at least prepared and, and did a full camp, and it looked like he was ready to go. But, you know, uh, Nikita Krylov, man, he was just throwing some some leather. So we'll see what Alex Gustafson decides. Volkan Ozdemir defeated Paul Craig. Unanimous decision there. No dis- No submissions to be had. We'll go over the prelim card in just a second, but we got to get to our guest. Uh, Anthony Smith, Lionheart Smith, is going to be fighting next Saturday at UFC 277. He's in the opening bout against Ankalaev, and that's always nice. 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. That's what time the pay-per-view starts goes, and I will be with you guys from 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for our UFC 277 watch-along. All right, talk to Anthony Smith. 
What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another MMA superstar. This time we get to talk to Anthony Lionheart-Smith, who's got a big fight coming up uh, here in Las Vegas. UFC 277, the opening bout against Ankalaev. What's going on, Lionheart? Good to have you back. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. It has been. Uh, I think we caught up with you after Quintet. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Here in Las Vegas. So uh, thank you so much for squeezing us in. And I know you man, you athletes must have, I mean, there's so many podcasts now. I mean, hell, you're part of like two or three of them. But you know what I mean? Like there's so many nowadays that I bet you guys get pulled in every direction leading up to the fight. Do you enjoy it or has it just become too much uh, now that everything's blown up? No, man, I, you know, I've kind of gotten used to it. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the media and 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 you guys, you know, I wouldn't have ever probably gotten my broadcasting side of it going. So, um, I like it, you know, I don't do as many as, as maybe I used to, um, just cause I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just stretched thin on time and, and I'm in camp and, you know, I got the podcast of Bisbing and the radio show and, and it's just, you know, it gets to be a lot, but, um, yeah, man, I don't, I don't mind it at all. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like standing on, you know, uh, on this side of it, wearing the sharp suit and tie, like Go said, uh, have you learned a lot more about the game than you anticipated when you took these endeavors on? You like your former colleague of ours on on SiriusXM, podcasting with with Bisping, and and uh, of course the work you do on ESPN. Yeah, you know, I I never expected to, you know, like to work the desk and it make me a better fighter. Um, but there's not that often that when you're just an athlete or you're just a fighter that you you break down fights that have nothing to do with you. So, and I mean that like. If I'm breaking down, the, just to throw two people out there, we'll say Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. I'm never going to fight either one of those guys. So it's not how I would fight them. It was, it was, I got to watch Dillashaw and I got to figure out if I'm Dillashaw, how do I beat Corey Sandhagen? And it's not like, how would I beat Corey Sandhagen? It's if, 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 it, like if I had the skill set and the the abilities and the athleticism and the wrestling and the striking and the stance switches and all that stuff with his skill set, how does he take advantage of Corey Sandhagen's, which means I have to break down Corey Sandhagen's as if I'm Corey and I have his skill set and I'm fighting Dillashaw. So, you know, I, I feel like my fight IQ has gotten much higher and, and, and just really learned a lot more about the game and, and, and how other people do it. And I've just gained a huge respect for for athletes that maybe typically I wouldn't. And I use Corey Sandhagen as an example because I I probably would have never had I not broke down his fight so many times and and you know like just sat in my hotel room in whatever city we happen to be in and and just be in awe of his work. You know, like it's one thing just to watch the fight, but to break his skill set down and how he deals with problems and and what he what his mentality looks like when he gets into firefights or when things aren't going his way what how does he react how does he change his game i uh, maybe i wouldn't have maybe been as big of a fan of him uh as i am after breaking him down and seeing how how fantastic he is heck you may have just answered my next question i was gonna ask something similar like when's the last time you broke down a film or just watched the fight and then went back and saw what they did so either pre or post fight and then said you sneaky devil like that like not too many people do that and and maybe even applied it to your game would it be Corey, or can you think of another example uh you know i, th I think charles Oliver is a perfect example um you know i charles Oliver has made his he has made me work so hard uh you know like going into the gaethje fight and going into the chandler fight and going into the dustin poirier fight 
I, for whatever reason, Charles Oliveira is just a guy that like, you, you know, you break him down in the, in the Chandler fight and you're like, well, Chandler has the ability to, to make the fight happen wherever he wants it to happen. He's such a good wrestler that if he wants it on the ground, it'll go to the ground. If he doesn't want it on the ground, it's going to stay on his feet. Um, he's got crazy explosion in his hands and Oliveira gets hit. He's very hittable. And that's been the big knock on him recently. And then the fight happens and you're like, well, how did I miss that? Like, you know, like how did I miss the, the, the clinch stuff and the trip stuff and then the control when he, if they do end up in the ground and then where the hell did this power come from? You know what I mean? Like he hasn't been the one shot knockout guy. So like, where the hell did that come from? And then, you know, then it rolls into the, the Poirier fight and you're like, oh, okay, this, this is where this train ends. Like Poirier is a great grappler. He's good in the clinch. He's got crazy power. He's durable. He fights well out of both hands. This is a this is the Dustin Poirier fight, and that happens. You're like, Jesus Christ, what is going on here? You know, and and then the Gaethje fight. You're like, all right, absolutely, Gaethje, Division One All American, crazy power, really durable. Even if he takes shots, he's gonna land big shots. And then you know, Oliveira, you know, kind of drops him with you know, like slumps him with one. So like watching his evolution and watching him get better, you know, it's starting to pick and see like, okay, how is he like dealing with all these problems that in my head he shouldn't be able to deal with in every single fight. He's, he's adding a little bit to it. And I'm like trying to really dig in and, and find these nuances and figure out what I'm missing. Man, what a great compliment to give a fighter that had his struggles early on, you know, whether mm -hmm. it was weight misses or just some key losses that he had in his career and he's turned it around. And I'm hearing so much praise for Charles Oliveira in the last few years. And especially in the last few months from high level fighters like yourself. And, and now hearing this, man, well, and, and to go from a guy that we've seen broken, we've yeah. seen him break. We've seen him. I don't want to say quit, like, but you can actively quit. You know, you can stay in there and stay hang and hang tough, but you're not really trying to win anymore. You're just trying to survive it and get out of there. Uh, we've seen him do that. So that then to see him get into the Chandler fight where he's hurt really, really bad, and then the Poirier fight where he's hurt really, really bad, and he's never he's hasn't been shook in a long time. You know, and to be in there with a guy like Gaethje and, and not be gun shy after some of the things that he's been in before, um, that's hard to do. It's it's hard to change that, you know, once it, I don't know what changed for him. Um, uh, my biggest regret is that I don't speak Portuguese because I would love to sit and just pick his brain for an hour and just figure out like what happened in your life, what changed, what what motivated you, what, you know, what made you who you are now that you weren't before. Yeah, he's definitely a freight train. And if I can add to what you were saying, like I remember like four fights ago, the Ferguson fight, just him picking up a division three national champion and just like, you know, taking the wrestling to him. And I was like, I've always said that about the the wiry guys, the long, tall guys that sometimes get taken down. They rely too much on jits, you know, because they think maybe they can catch you. If only they could do the the, the taking down of the opponent and work the top game. And I used to say that about him. I remember saying a long time about Damian Mayan. He worked real hard on his offensive wrestling, and he became a beast. But, yeah, you're right, man. Charles Oliveira's taking it to a new level. There is a problem, though. Even if you know one word of Portuguese, that's one more word that he knows of English. So, yeah, you're going to have to get a, a good chance. <laughs> he doesn't know a lick, man, of English. None. None. <laughs> I wish he would learn it because I think he'd be really even come off more charismatic and become even a bigger star. But somehow he's pulling it off. He's dying the hair. He's getting the finishes. He's beating big names. So, but let's get back to you. I gotta tell you something. 
mad respect for your activity in this sport. Just even if you go back 2016, 17, you stay busy, pal. And, you know, I handled the, the rankings for USA Today and MMA Junkie. And I've noticed as of late when I'm going in there and just kind of making sure, cleaning things up, not many fighters fight more than twice a year. But yet you at least do that. What do you attribute that to? Like, you just got good genes, or no? I just get bored. I like I don't I don't do well when I'm spinning my wheels. Like, I just idle time is not my friend. I I I just get fat and out of shape, and and I just you know I I do so many other things as well. Um, that when I'm not competing or I'm not in a training camp or or got like a focus, then I just go all in on the other stuff, and I and I can't allow myself to do that. So. And I just love this shit, man. I I still do. I, I I'm still chasing a dream. I'm still trying to get that title. It, it means more to me than anything. So, um, sitting and being idle, I don't like watching the division pass me by. I don't like opportunities passing me by. So, um, any chance I can get in there, and it, and if it's going to continue to to push me towards the title, then that's what I'm going to do. Well, this is definitely the fight that can do that. Unfortunately. MMA fans and media um, can be fickle, and it seems like they've put a lot of attention on Ankalaev, like he could be it and this and that. They're overlooking your three-fight win streak, your pedigree against you know the top fighters for the last five years or so. Um, does that kind of put a, a chip on your shoulder, or are you taking it in stride? Uh, a little bit, yeah. A little bit. I'm getting used to it, you know what I mean? I'm getting used to just kind of being counted out. Um I and uh, again, this is no disrespect to Uncle Life. I, I've got a lot of respect for his game. I really do. Um, he he's good, man. He's very very good, but he's not the boogeyman that everyone is making him out to be. He's 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 not that guy. And he's if if I don't go in there and do what I'm supposed to do and 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 you know cross my cross my t's and dot my eyes, it's gonna be a long night for me. But he's he's not, at least in my opinion, he's not the boogeyman. That, that everyone's making him out to be he's he's a he's a normal guy he, he he's very simple in his game and his approach there's no tricky shit going on there um he's never out of position he, he likes to fight inside of his box he wants to walk people down he's got a really heavy uh and active lead side he's got a nice high kick from the rear side he wants to funnel you to the two it's the same shit that, that a lot of people do he just he his approach and, and he's very smart. He, he doesn't leave a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. But uh, that's my job. That's my job is is to go in there and, and and I make people look bad. And that's what I've been doing for a long time. I made the best guys in the world look bad, even if they win. Um, so I got to beat him in the gray areas. I got to get him outside of his box and make him uncomfortable and and make mistakes trying to get back to his box. Anthony, as George mentioned, a lot of people are talking about this guy and his skill set. And you're right. If you do kind of look at it, um, I mean, everybody's high level, high class at this point. Do you feel like fighters, can they fall in love with their own hype? You know, what people are talking about. And has that ever happened to you before? Um, I don't think it's ever happened to me. Um because I just live such a, a normal, humble life. Like my wife's never going to allow me to drink my own Kool-Aid. That's for sure. Um, so I, I don't think it's ever happened to me. Maybe, maybe early on, maybe I got kind of wrapped up into just the life maybe a little bit and maybe I've partied a little too hard when I was younger, but for, for the most part, I think I've stayed pretty true to who I am. Um, I think a lot of people can though. 
Um, and I think that uh, that could be Uncle Live's biggest mistake is is I'm different, man. Than, than you, you can watch it on tape, you can watch it on film, you can break me down on paper, and it and it maybe in your mind it might be the easiest fight. But when I'm in there and you're in front of me, the things that you think you see are not there, and there's going to be a lot of shit going on uh, that that are nuanced, that are that are gray area stuff that a lot of people like. No one, no one who's beat me. Or, or or no one that I've beaten has ever asked to do it again. It's it's never it's never fun for anybody. It's it's just different, and and I think he'll figure that out. So I, I think he could get wrapped up into I'm the next title contender. I just got to get through this guy. It's not a big deal, you know. And you've seen he's kind of blown me off a little bit, um, which is fine. Which is fine. Anthony, I'm not sure if you follow other sports, but the Los Angeles Dodgers have a pitcher named Clayton Kershaw. Mm-hmm. He just went on the mound after doing this for years and years. This whole process, he actually went up on the mound. And he said he looked around the stadium and he soaked it all in. And he said he had never done that before. What about you? Um, have you had that moment yet? Like, do people have to remind you how badass you are, what it is you do for a living, how cool it is? When's the last time you soaked it all in? That's so funny you say that. Um, I had tried. A couple times before when I first started in main events, um, one of my coaches, I remember, I think it was my first main event, um, was fighting Shogun in Germany. And I remember he had the security take me to the tunnel and and showed me the arena so that it wasn't the first time that I seen it when I walked out with all the people and stuff. So then I started doing that every single time um, I had a main event that I would I would... I would walk out into the arena. I'd, I'd have security take me to a tunnel and I'd kind of sneak through there behind the curtains and, and I'd just stand there for a couple minutes and just take it all in so that I, it was familiar when I walked out. Um, and then I stopped doing it. I don't know why. I just, you know, I got wrapped up in my preparation. And then the first time I like really took it in for the first time was when I fought Jimmy Crew uh, at that first event back with fans, the first full event. Um, and I like, if you, even if you go back and watch the walkout, it was incredible. It was like one of the one, probably one of the greater moments of my whole career. Just the crowd reacting to everything, and and they were dancing to the music, and and like, I think I'd I'd fought so many times without fans, and my profile I think had raised a little bit with just working the desk and, you know, fighting in these. You know, I I had fought, you know, like with no fans, so I wasn't used to it, and just like the pop that I got when they when I walked out it was it was like second to none it was it, so that was probably the one and only time that I was like I tried before and it just wasn't I don't know it wasn't it didn't feel real and then when I fought Jimmy Crute in Jacksonville I was like holy shit good stuff anthony when is going to be your debut as a uh color commentator at an event you know I don't know um the it's a, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Um, the UFC already has a fantastic crew uh, of cage side commentators. You know, Dominic Cruz, DC, Felder, Bisbing, uh, Rogan. I mean, it, those guys are, are are second to none. So there's not really a place for me right now. Um, and, and, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think my time will come eventually. Um, that's obviously where I want to end up. But I, I still like doing the desk. Um, I think while I'm still competing, the desk is probably the better fit for me as far as like full time uh, just because 
to be very honest, the the desk is easier. Um, those guys cage side are, are they are really really working hard. They have a their their workload as far as the the preparation and the study is probably two or three times what I have to do with the desk. So um, I think it works better that I, maybe that I'm not doing that as often or doing like even if I started now I wouldn't be able to do it every single time. Like it's just the workload is, is super heavy. So I think maybe when we start traveling more internationally uh, more often. I, I think that maybe that might give me an opportunity to to maybe sit sit cage side and start doing the color stuff just because you know DC and Bisbing and Rogan you know those guys are fancy as shit they don't want to do all the the little cities in Brazil and the little villages so um, <laughs> I, I think I think that might open up some opportunities just to give those guys a travel break. Yeah, well, you're definitely gaining a lot of experience. You've done like you're doing live radio, mm-hmm. you're doing a podcast format and then of course live television so i'm sure they're all a little bit different but still they're all making you look better okay let me ask you just a couple more quick ones if you have time yeah please let us know um what's the difference between this fight coming up ufc 277 pay-per-view you know what time you're fighting 10 eastern 7 pacific actually 7 pacific because it's here in vegas so that actually no no it's in dallas central time dallas you're right you're right It, it is in dallas i'm sorry so um that'll be 9 p.m Eastern, mm-hmm. so or sorry, Central, similar to where you're at. Yep. And what's the difference between the butterflies or the excitement? If you have butterflies, nerves, whatever, in this coming up fight, or even the, the last couple you've had versus when you fought Dave Moran, Victory <laughs> Fighting Championships in February of 2008, almost 15 years ago. Like, is it all still the same? Like, do you still feel kind of like? Oh like God, no! I was so play, much more or, nervous or, back then. What's I was that? so much more nervous back then. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. You know, like back then, there wasn't a lot of film on guys. There wasn't a lot of breakdowns. It was like, what's this guy get out there? Like, I don't know. I think he can grapple. <laughs> like, you had no, <laughs> you had no idea what you were getting yourself into. Um, and now it's 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 all pretty. I don't know. I don't want to say pretty routine, but I know exactly what I'm getting myself into. I know, and, and honestly, being the first fight on the pay per view is the best place to be on the whole card other than the first fight. And sometimes it's better than the very first fight because depending on, you know, fights fall out or guys, you know, miss weight and the card changes and the time of the fight, st- the starting time changes. I know exactly what time I fight. 9.05, I'm walking. So it, it helps with my warm up. There's no like, you know, you start getting warmed up and thinking there's going to be a finish and then there's not and it drags on or there's a, you know, it, the main event, that's the hardest part is the timing trying to time it right on your warm-up so um i don't know i i think i'm significantly less nervous and anxious now than than you know there for a while i went through this phase where i wasn't nervous at all um and i don't i don't know if i'm getting older or or if it's some of the you know i've been very open about just the mental health side of side of my life and dealing with problems and and stuff like that like I think there for a while I was kind of dead on the inside a little bit and I wasn't even allowing myself to feel anything. So I wasn't nervous. I wasn't, you know, I remember fighting Devin Clark and like, I couldn't have cared less. You know, I was just in the locker room, like where my coach is like, Hey, you ready? Like you good? Like, well, yeah, whatever. Like I just walked out, did the damn thing and left. Like wow. it, it just there for a while, I wasn't really feeling anything. And then I, th- I think the more that I, kind of dug into my own head and, and kind of walk through and filter through some of that bullshit. I've kind of got that fire back a little bit where I get, I do get a little bit of butterflies and, and I don't want to say nerves, but a little bit anxious. 
Um, and I find that honestly, the more anxious I get, the better I perform. So, um, yeah, it's definitely different. But I, I think the Dave Moran days were like that was genuine fear. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I thought you were going to say the opposite, maybe. But um, no, those yeah. were the scariest days, bro. Like, those were the scariest. Okay. like the, even in the amateur days were even worse because you would be like here in Nebraska. Back then, right? Yeah, I was young. I was 17, 18. Yeah. And back then I didn't know shit about shit when it came to fighting. I didn't, I wasn't very good and you didn't even know who you were fighting. Like the amateur guys, these like today have it so good. You know, they're, they're essentially just pros that aren't getting paid, especially the good ones. Back then we were driving to arenas, having no idea who we were fighting. It was like you showed up. It wasn't even sanctioned in Nebraska back then. So you just sign up and they would just match you guys as close as they could in weight and experience. So like, until 20 minutes before you had no idea who you were fighting so it's just the the nerves in this the anxiety because then you're just you're staring at everybody in the room like fuck it might be that guy i don't know that dude's pretty big and i think i seen that guy fight a couple weeks ago and he's a badass so like it was nerve-wracking man yeah um just a couple more here i, I think this question is perfect for you everybody talks about judging right i personally don't think judging is as bad as as uh others and I definitely know that if we were just to wipe out the top 15 judges, we'll say, and bring in, you know, whatever it is that people say, former fighters, former coaches, or just whatever, I, I think we would take a, a, a bunch of steps back. Now, do they ever get it wrong? Yes, because you can tell when someone's just 30-27 here, the other two guys are 30-27 here, and then MMA decisions is like 19-1 to 1 or 20-0, to 0, everyone's mm -hmm. tweeting. You can tell. Um, but... <sighs> You know, then the, another conversation comes out of that. Well, you know, don't let it go to the judges. Dana said it. A lot of people have said it. The fighters will push back and go, you think we're not trying to finish? I do you think, think we want to fight 15 or 25 minutes. Not a goddamn chance. None of us want to fight that long. I think some fighters aren't trying to finish. I think they're trying to maybe steal rounds or whatever. But mm -hmm. you're the perfect guy for this because you're over 95%, I believe, in the finishing rate mm -hmm. of your fights. What do you think that there are some fighters that just don't want to be as honest as they should be that they're not doing? Is it just like, you know, maybe the jab's there, and then by the time they want to throw it, someone's jabbed in, so then they have to reset, and just the time keeps going away because there's a hesitancy? What would you say is the biggest detriment to, to the fighter that has that mentality? Uh, I, th I think it's, it's some guys are hesitant, and, and they don't. I, I've always been the type of fighter where I don't mind putting myself in the gray area. I talk about the gray area a lot because it's the place that nobody likes to fight. It's you're not at distance, but you're also not in the clinch. Like there's, there's not too many guys that enjoy fighting there. Justin Gaethje would be probably the guy I say enjoys fighting there as much as anyone that you can, you know, just off the top of my head. Um, and myself, the, the gray area is where I thrive. It's also the most dangerous place to be in a fight. So I think that not a lot of people like being in there. So if you're on the outside, it's easy to pick. If you're a Israel Adesanya, if you got a lot of like, and, and I, and I'm not being critical of Israel's last performance. I was critical of the things that Israel Adesanya said leading into that performance. Uh, I'm never going to knock a guy for going out and doing exactly what he needs to do to win and do it dominantly. Like I, I'm not like, who the, who the fuck am I to tell Israel Adesanya how he's supposed to make his millions? <laughs> the guy's a goddamn champion of the world for a reason. So, But I can be critical if he's going to convince me in the lead-up to it that he's going to come out and he's going to do something different to get me to buy the pay-per-view and then does the exact same thing he's been doing. 
that's where I'm critical. Um, but there's there's really no reason if you're Israel Adesanya, there's no benefit in putting yourself in danger if you're doing an okay job doing it the way you normally do it. Um, which is why I, sh I shouldn't have believed him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's just there was no reason to do that. So I think that that's what it comes down to. And it, it, I guess on your your point of the judging, I I don't think the judges are doing as bad of a job as maybe and maybe even I've given them a little bit too much crap for it but i think they're doing an okay job under the criteria that they're given mm -hmm. the criteria i think is the problem um it's very odd to me to have a bunch of nerds in suits in an office somewhere tell me what a significant strike is um i think that's the problem so then those ones those guys are the ones that are passing it down the line to the other judges and they're telling them what a significant strike is. So I don't think we need to have a bunch of former fighters or former coaches or, or, or whatever. I don't think we need that to get it right. But I do think that they should open the dialogue a little bit and, and allow us, because we're the ones that have to do it. So if, if we have to go in there and we have to fight under a rule set, I think that we should have a say in the rule set. If, if we have to go in there and we have to fight under a criteria um, to try to win these decisions, if that's what it comes down to, I think that we should have a say in what a significant strike is. And for example, the the clinch work on the fence, uh, like in the the Valentina Shevchenko fight, right? She was pushed up and grinded on the fence for however long it was. It was one round where she landed like three strikes and then was grinded on and kneed to death on the fence and then wins that round. Any fighter in the world will tell you that that is the most miserable goddamn thing to happen to you on your feet, on the fence, just getting got a forehead rubbing all over your face and you're getting knee in the legs and the stomach and you got elbows on your chin and it, it's miserable. It sucks. So then she lands two or three strikes from range and she wins that round. I, I think that that's under the criteria. That's correctly. That's correct. That's exactly how it should have been judged. I just, as a fighter, I think if you ask 10 of us what you would rather, would you rather take those three strikes at range or be the person getting grinded up on the fence? I bet every single one of them would tell you they'd rather be the guy that took the three strikes at range. Um, oh, wow. And I, I think that's just one small example uh, of some of the issues, you know, like what, it, I don't know. It's like, what is a, sig a significant strike? I can't answer that question for you because I don't know what the actual rule is or, or what the judges are told. I think that's the problem because not all the time do us as fighters, depending on what state we fight in or what commission is overseeing us or, or, or whatever, we don't always know the rules. All right. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for your time. We covered a lot. Uh, I just want to close with, I did do a scan of your social media prior to the interview. Uh, so when you were telling goes that, you know, your wife won't let you get a big head, this guy mows his, his own lawn, folks. He does. So, he yeah, does. He mows his own grass. Pretty cool to see. See, Demetrius Johnson used to do that up until a few years ago. He goes, I started having kids. So he finally got, you know, someone to, to work work the route uh, that includes his own, but he used to do it as well. But I also yeah. love that t-shirt. No one cares, work harder. Like I've always you know, said that. I've it's always said so that. to the point and so true. And sometimes we're hearing people and I think I want to maybe get a sticker of that. I'm going to have to look and see what kind of stuff you have and just go, bro, just enough. You know, like no excuses, just go work hard. I really right. like it. It's to the point. For uh, sure. That'll like, fix a lot of problems that people have. Yeah. Uh, I used to do, uh, I'll give you a little story before you drag this out too much longer, but I used to do like, uh, some motivational speaking and, and, you know, talking to some troubled youth and, 
and guys that were coming out of prison and, and stuff like that. And honestly, like I, I don't really resonate that well with those guys because that's kind of my mindset is no one cares, work harder. And the, I always tell people the faster you figure out that no one gives a fuck about you and like lots of people want you to do well, but not that many people want you to do better than them, the more successful you're going to be. So I, that mindset doesn't always, I don't know. It doesn't always motivate a lot of people. It does me. You know what I mean? It like, I think it's a fantastic way to live your life, but the, you know, I can't feel sorry for myself. I can't blame something on someone else. I can't blame other people for my failures. Like not a lot of people like to hear that kind of stuff. So I'm glad you guys like that shirt. I love it. And you know what? I'm going to put it at the top. of. I take notes every day and stuff, things to do and notes for the interviews. I'm just going to write it at the top of every page because I'm going to, I'm probably going to say it to myself. I need to just read it. And so Mm -hmm. whether I say it to other people, I'm probably going to say it to myself a lot more, but it really, really was uh, inspiring. Um, and, and, and then lastly, of course, um, I'm going to call my mom and tell her I love her because I did see that beautiful picture of you dancing with your mom. And God, man, that broke my heart. So I, I know you have a heavy heart. And yeah, it's been my first fight without my mom. I know. Actually. Yeah. Um, you know, just. I'm sure you've received a lot of condolences, but extended condolences from the Junkie Nation family for those that may not have seen that. Uh, this will be your first fight without your mom. Can you just maybe talk about like what the experience was for her on fight night? Was she someone that watched live or any of your fights? Or what, what was that like? And um, if you don't mind, you know. I, I, yeah, I, I, no, I, I don't mind at all. Um, sure. my, mo my mom was my biggest fan, man. If it wasn't for her, there is no, obviously she's my mom, so there's no Anthony Smith, but there's Lionheart. no Lionheart at all without my mom. Like, I was a, I was a, I was a troubled kid. You know what I mean? Like growing up, I got in a lot of trouble. I did a lot of stupid shit. You know, in my, you know, late teen years, I was in and out of jail and, and nothing ever like super serious, but just a lot of, you know, fights and drinking and partying and DUIs and just stupid shit. And, you know, my mom was, was always like, she was always that person. Like I'll defend you till the death. But like right. when it's just her and I, she's like, chew my ass. You know what I mean? Like she's that lady. Like my son didn't do that shit. But then like when it's her and I, she's like, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> but once I, once I found, you know, I kind of accidentally found fighting. Like I was at, it's that famous subway story where I see the flyer and I'm like, hey, what's your fight night? I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go check this shit out. Like I didn't really know much about it. And I started really liking it. And like during this time I was in, you know, I'm still in and out of trouble and on and off probation and. And I found this fighting thing and, and I just kept going back and, you know, I lost like my first four fights and I just loved it though. And there was this old man there and his name was Marty and Marty invited me to come train at this little kind of makeshift training facility he had built on the back of his house. And he had like maybe 10, 10 guys, like 10 amateur guys, all of them like me, like in and out of trouble. We had nothing going for us. Like most of us had dropped out of high school, no jobs, like didn't have shit going for us, but this, this, this guy like just seen this potential and just wanted to help us. But it was an, like an hour and 15 minutes from where I lived. So my mom, every single day, like funded me going from my hometown to Marty's and back every single day, an hour and 15 minutes, one way every single day for like three years. And then when I was ready to turn pro when I was 20, um, I couldn't do the driving back and forth thing. And then I was like, kind of like, I was kind of spread my wings training wise a little bit and I'm still trained with Marty, but then I was going to another place. Um, 
and I couldn't, I was training. And then I was like training like a professional I was training twice a day. So then she put me like, put herself in debt, like putting me in an apartment in Omaha and then would drive up every Sunday and get me groceries and Jeez. leave me and like, leave me enough money to like take care of myself for the week just so that I could train it. And like, she had no fucking clue what the UFC was or, or like what even being successful in MMA was going to look like. All she knew was that I was finally focused on something and I was dedicating myself to something and whatever that thing was, she didn't care. Like it, I wasn't, I wasn't getting in trouble anymore. I wasn't in and out of jail. I wasn't doing stupid shit. Mm-hmm. I was just focused on this thing that I was doing. And, and like at the time I didn't even know where it was going to go. Um, I just knew that like, I like doing it. And so I just kept doing it. And you know, that's, you know, I remember, you know, all the amateur fights and all the early pro fights, like she was there first row screaming her head off, like going crazy. And then as the fights got further away, just cause you know, as it got more successful, they're all over the world and right. whatever, you know, she was, it got to the point where she wasn't able to watch them live anymore because she was so nervous. Mm-hmm. So it was like fight week was like her thing. Like every single day, for whatever reason, she was always so concerned with my weight because she knew like I was at 85 forever and I was struggling and, yeah. um, you know, even at 205, she was still always like, what do you weigh? How are you feeling? What'd you eat today? Like every single day through fight week. And then, you know, like she's like the last person, her and my wife are like the last people I always talk to right before I walk and first people I talk to afterwards. So, uh, fight week's going to be a tough one for me, I suspect, um, whether it's now or two years from now, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a tough one, but we'll get through it, man. We'll get through it. You know, we'll have to deal with it and, and go do it for her. That's a tremendous story. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it sounds like she had your back, what you were talking about for three <laughs> to, years. A, to a fault. Coach Marty, <laughs> and, and then even going on Sunday and, and, and doing some shopping and some laundry, your, your mom's a saint. And she'll always have your back, Anthony. And I'm sure she'll be watching on July 30th as well, man. You you probably made her so proud, you know, while she was with us, and you'll continue making her proud. So, but thank you, thank you for sharing that. That that's a beautiful tribute to your mom and us getting to know what she was like. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you guys. I really do. Thank you, thank you. We appreciate you too, and thanks for the time you gave us today. We went almost 35 minutes, a lot longer than I anticipated, but it was all golden. So um, we wish you the best of luck with. The rest of training camp, safe travels to Dallas, uh, safe weight cut, and and have that banger of, of a fight that we always get from you against uh, Ankaliyev on July 30th. Perfect, man. I appreciate you guys. Let's catch up afterwards. Sounds good. Take care, man. All right, guys. Take See care. All right. Well, that was a long conversation, a little longer than I anticipated, but we covered a lot. Cool cat, man. He had uh, some really good things to say, and you know, sorry that he had to go through that with his mother, but... Uh, he did a really good job of honoring her, and uh, that story kind of hits home a little bit because you know George and I we're in a really weird industry now. You can imagine how weird it was 15 years ago, and our parents are the same, man. They were very, very supportive. So um, good on him, man, to share that. Yeah, I agree. All right, so Ludwig Klein defeated Mason Jones. Mark Diakissi defeated Demir Hadzovic. Nathaniel Wood defeated Charles Rosa. Um, Jonathan Pierce defeated Makwan Amerikani. Mohamed Mokayev defeated Charles Johnson. Jai Herbert defeated Kyle Nelson. Victoria Leandro defeated Mandy Baum. And Nicholas Dalby defeated Claudio Silva. The fight of the night bonus was no bonus. Ex- instead, they went with four performance of the nights. 
And those four, coincidentally, went to finishers. So Jonathan Pierce, Molly McCann, Keita Krylov, Patty Pimlet all get 50 Gs, baby. Yeah, there was a lot of decisions, but there was some good action out there. I'm not being a hater in that regard, um, but I'm just kind of more happy that every finisher got a bonus, although there was only four. So any thoughts on any of those fights on the undercard? I know I kind of blitzed through them, but did any of them stand out to you that you want to comment on? Lokayev, man, he's a beast. That was a good performance from him. And uh, there is. Oh, my God, I forgot his name. The guy that fought Rosa. Nathaniel Wood, yeah. Nathaniel Wood had a great performance, too. Yeah, and Charles Rosa, who honestly I think could have packed it in, decided to at least entertain. And even though he the fight didn't go his way, the fans appreciated it. And he is 35 years of age. He's been around for a while. He now has lost three in a row. You never know, man. You never know at what point, you know, they – you know, that could be it. But if they're going to give Alvy fights after eight losses, then I think Rosa earned a fight, an extra fight goes, just because, again, he got the crowd on their feet. Yeah. That that uh, performance up until that moment was not good. But him kind of egg, egging him on a little bit, who knows, man, that might have saved saved his job because, yeah. you know, Dana White likes that type of stuff. And he had cardio, and he, he, he was fighting. Like, he was never letting himself just get – steamrolled and this isn't a shot at mark diakessi because i think michael bisping said it perfectly already um and since then i've seen on social media that they're cool but diakessi on the other hand uh, you know he had a 10-8 and all 10-7s he just dominated hadzovich but at the same time the fight was on the ground and it just it never took off the fans were booing and so here you have someone who won and not many people are going to talk about him this week and Rosa lost, but yet he entertained. And I think that's where the UFC is like, just give us a little bit of that. You know, Diakessi. Mm-hmm. And for Rosa, you know, you got to win some. And even if it means one like that, we can't cut you. So it's just a little bit of, can you do a little bit of this to each, each one of them? And and that's the UFC struggle. But th- I think the UFC just does the, a good job of just keeping their hands off. And saying that's that's the way we roll on to next week. All right, let's go to real fast. Bellator, Jason Jackson defeated Douglas Lima. That was a big fight. And then um, Usman Nurmagomedov, he stays undefeated. He defeated Chris Gonzalez. Lorenz Lark in his fight with Mohamed uh, Berkhamov. It, def- it ended in a no contest because there was an elbow to the back of the head. Any quick thoughts on Jackson and Lima? It's just domination, dude. Other than that up kick, we just looked at the same thing over and over again. Correct. Yeah. And I think Jackson may have heard his title shot. You know, I mean, look, next is um, Logan Storley against uh, the, the Ukrainian champion. I forget his name. Amosov. There you go. And Amosov's back to training. You know, he was helping the Ukrainian military defend you know, in this war with Russia, but it seems like he has now started to um, to uh, train again and he's going to resume his career, but obviously he's got Logan Storley, but Jackson says he, he wants the winner and that matchup, damn, the fans were booing. And I feel terrible because on the one hand, I, you know, a fan paid his ticket, he or she can do whatever they want as long as they don't, you know, um, 
hurt the fighters, throw something. You, you don't want people throwing stuff at the cage or whatever, but you can pretty much say anything you want. You know, no racial stuff, no, no, you don't make it personal in that regard, but you can boo is what I'm getting at. And that they were out there. And I thought, I thought Jackson at times maybe could have just got some ground and pound going or something, but he kind of played it safe. So, and as far as Lorenz Larkin goes, goes, he threw that elbow, right? And Big John McCarthy cleared a few things up. He said, of course, it's intentional in the sense that Lorenz Larkin couldn't look at you and go, I didn't mean to elbow him because he did. He's Lorenz Larkin. He threw the elbow. Of course, he meant to do it. So that part was intentional. What John McCarthy said was that the referee needs to deem, did he intend to hit him in the back of the head? And because he's a veteran and because I guess he had looked away, you know, he's kind of fighting the takedown, he probably just mis-targeted. And as he was wanting to go to the ear, it didn't. It hit the other guy. The other guy, of course, said, oh, man, you know, I'm hurt. I can't continue. And so that was that. And that's why even though they deemed it an illegal elbow, it wasn't a disqualification. It's a no contest because the referee said, we're going to go the route of no contest because I don't believe it was intentional. What John didn't like was the discussion between the ref where the ref tried to put the onus on a commission official. Well, what do you want to do? And that guy said, no, it's up to you, dog. But eventually they got it right. It just kind of sounded embarrassing a little bit on the mic and i don't know if you heard john but john goes i just want to slice my throat right now <laughs> it was yeah. kind, of, kind of funny but anyway it, it sucked too that we didn't really get to see that fight play out very much as well you know other than the takedown him getting back up um it's unfortunate but those things happen yeah and you know why it was really unfortunate is because um lorenz larkin could have stolen jason jackson's shine if he would have mm-hmm. done something spectacular and then said, what's up, Scott Conker? What do I got to do? I've won, you know, I think he's on five straight. I've won six straight now. If that fight sucks, I'm next. You know, fans go nuts. And guess what? The next fight winds up kind of kind of sucking, I guess. He really would have maybe gotten in the way and done something. But here's what, here's what I think is going to happen. I think they should just match up Jason Jackson and Lance Larkin. And that way, neither one can say anything. You know what I mean? And, and they can fight the winner of Storley and Amosov, and that'll be that. True. Yeah, yeah. That, could, that could work out. And just finally, in closing here, a shout-out to Rainier de Ritter out at one championship. He's the middleweight and light heavyweight champion over there. So he's a champ champ, and he defended his middleweight championship. Don't get thrown off by the fact that he weighed in at 205. Remember, they do hydration tests over there. So basically, they just don't want you to do the water cut. Um, if you'll recall, most middleweights, like we'll say Israel Adesanya, for example, well, he's probably a bad example because on the lighter side, but most middleweights will weigh in at 185. And by the time they fight, they're 200, 205, 210, whatever. That's what one championship does is they just don't make you do the cut, but they basically make you fight at what you would have hydrated to. So he defended his middleweight title uh, against Vitali Bigdash, and it was a technical submission, an inverted triangle. It was really, really slick, all in the first round. Stays undefeated. We interviewed him a few months ago. I think we're going to talk to him this week, but the guy keeps impressing, goes. Yeah, he's a beast, man. He's legit. And he's really fun to talk to. Um, but you know what? You went over those UFC bonuses, George. Yeah. Are you telling me that uh, Jimmy Manoa didn't get one? I know. I did hear about that. He uh, Apparently, he slapped, right? He said 
Well, Rakic made it sound like he threw a punch, but yeah. Jimmy Motherwell in his in his social media said, "You knew when I was going to see, you, I was going to slap you." Over some comments he said back in 2021, when Manuel said, "If I came back, I'd come back for Rakic," and Rakic said, ah, "I'm still spending the fifty thousand from sleeping you." I guess uh, Manuel held on to that one for about a year and a few months until he saw him. Sounds like Rakic was in the same row. He was trying to exit the row. Walked by Manoa. What he said he had a problem with was that Manoa waited for him to turn his back, and then he got stole on. Manoa was saying, I told you what I was going to do, and there are no rules on the streets, which he's kind of right. But uh, I think, I, you know, kind of going back to Masvidal, well, if the guy you have a problem with is coming your way, you might as well just initiate and go, hey, remember me, Benny, Benny Blanco from the Bronx, and then make your move. True. Yeah, it's an odd, odd story because you're right. They made it sound like it was a punch, but then he, he kind of said slap. And I don't know. I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how it actually went down, but it'd be kind of hard to miss a punch, I would think, especially if, if you're sucker punching somebody and you miss, then you're fucking sauce at that point, right? Like, come on, you got to land that. Rakic says he kind of moved, but he said the, the elbow still caught him on the neck. Um so something landed, but it, you know, if you look at Rakic's face, because the story's on MMA Junkie, there wasn't like a shiner or a crooked nose or a bloody lip, um, cracked tooth, none of that stuff. Um, but it's a story and people click on it, so we're covering it. And, you know, other than that, man, there's a lot of stuff on MMA Junkie. If you want to look at the post fight regarding Bellator, one championship, and of course UFC, a lot of stuff there regarding the UFC, check it out. Um, Cage Warriors had a card in, earlier in the week. So did um, uh, Invicta. So yeah, I mean, I can't recommend a few things. The a lot of people don't, you know, when I see them, oh yeah, I'm a fan of MMA Junkie, Junkie Radio, or this and that, and and I'll say, do you have the first thing I always ask? Do you have the app on your phone? No, nah, man. Yeah, it's free. It's free for all smartphones and tablets. So whether you have a Samsung or a um, iPhone, easy. Download it. It's it's free and it has a lot of info, so you can keep up with it. You know, while you're kind of out on the go. Two, the YouTube channel, youtubecom forward slash MMA Junkie Video. You'll see a lot of our extended work there, like the full interview. You can watch the video there with um, Anthony Smith over at youtubecom forward slash MMA Junkie Video. That's where every Tuesday you'll also see us with the spinning back, like we discuss the biggest stories in MMA. And finally, follow us on our social media. Goes is at the goes. I am at MMA Junkie George, both on Instagram and Twitter. And that's also my YouTube channel, which I haven't done anything yet. So you're not missing anything. But follow us there. And lastly, thank you all again for um, always supporting us and the kind words that we see on social media, the shares, the retweets, all of it. It really, really does mean a lot. All right, folks. So finally, one last, th- one last time, UFC 277, it's on for Saturday. We will do a watch along. and We'll talk more about that on Thursday's show. We are out of here. Have a nice day. Go out there and be a champion. Talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.